Firefighting Podcast. How are you doing today? Good, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing well. How's quarantine life treating you? <laughs> Just trying to survive. It's a uh... It's been different. Uh, you know, now my, I got some new coworkers, and uh, I got a one-year-old and a three-year-old that are trying to help me constantly. Yeah, um, so it's great. You thought you had a full-time job before, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with with I mean, in general, but or even I guess specific to what's going on with all things COVID right now. Um, you know, what's what's top of mind for you with everything you're doing um, with Georgia Pacific, or you know, in general with um, the work you do as within safety, um, as in general, and, and also has it as it pertains to uh, coronavirus. So, I mean, a lot of things have changed for us. With my role as the the global emergency preparedness and response leader for GP, um, I mean, part of it is now we're, we're focusing on all the pandemic aspects of things, obviously, but a large part of our group is a training cadre um, that that visited visits you know, several sites um, they provide training they, they uh, come out and help teach you know, various things with uh, the different disciplines whether it be fire confined space high angle hazmat etc and um, you know right now with the social distancing and the, the PPE requirements etc we're not able to do that so uh, we're trying to figure out how do we do it differently um, and coming up with new and in- inventive ways to, to still put training out there, to still you know, help people think through, um, you know, tabletops and things of that nature in these what if, because you know, a part of our businesses have been deemed as essential through all this. So we're still operating um, to make sure that you know, people get their products, consumer products, and a lot of our stuff um, ties into medical uh, equipment. So making sure that they can still get that, and so the facilities are still operating. Um, so we're trying to come up with different ways of, of keeping people's mind sharp, and, and how do we, you know, I, tie, I throw in like tying knots. If I don't tie you know, certain knots, you know, at least every once in a while, you, know, you ask me 12 months from now, I can't remember how to tie it. So how are we keeping that on the, you know, the, the, the front of everybody's minds? And that's changed a lot, and so you know, technology-wise, um, I did a, 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 a class today and I'm using Camtasia software where I can narrate, you know, over PowerPoints to create a video. Um, and I made the comment when I taught my first class or put my first PowerPoint together, this stuff didn't exist. It wasn't even capable of talking into a, I got this snowball thing for a microphone uh, that plugs in and then having software to overlay the PowerPoint um, and narrate, and then you got the you know, the motion movie. You can put the pictures and the videos inside the PowerPoint, which is a video inside of a video. And you just think about how all that comes together that didn't exist ten years ago. Um, so we're really amping up just the technology aspect and everything that we're doing with the COVID stuff. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think just out of out of necessity, we've had to adapt quickly. And there's really no there's there's no other option right now. Just because, like you said, a lot of traditional business can't be done, um, whether it's the social distancing or lack of PPE. And with you doing a lot with uh, prevention and mitigation, um, you know, I'd love to learn more about some of the just kind of generally within the work that you do. Maybe COVID aside, but even obviously relative to COVID, you know, what what are some of these things that you're looking at, like from different technology things that you are considering from the use of biometrics or use of uh, VR, AR, how is that being 
put into play. And maybe obviously COVID has a has a role with how that it's going to be adopted uh, within it as it pertains to prevention and mitigation safety practices. And so even before the COVID uh, issue came up, we were looking at uh, various different technologies of how to do things differently, um, especially with inside our facilities. You know, it's always been a manual job to go and do every inspection to, and, and test. Um, so we started looking, well, how can we basically create a smart fire uh, protection system? And there's other companies that have done it, and we were actually allowed to go to a competitor of ours um, that let us in to look at a look at their fire protection. So thankful to them for allowing us to do that. Um, and they have systems to where they have a control room where they can do their trip test, monitor them, and do it from one seat. They don't have to go to every single house um, to do the test. And you think about the, the efficiency of that. Um, the hours that are reduced, things of that nature. Um, they have a, a system that um, they can watch how many GPMs are going through or flowing through their their, their, uh, their sprinkler houses when an incident occurs. So think about if you're an incident commander outside and you've got the municipal and then you've got the internal fire brigade and you've got an iPad that's showing you um, in a smoke-filled building how many GPMs are flowing. Now you take that number divided by your actual sprinkler heads, you can determine basically the size of the fire. And then if you're starting to see that number go up, you know, even in a smoke filled building that you got uh, the fires growing, it's intensifying. Well, you need to do something different you know, pretty quickly um, in, a, in an area you may not even be able to see the fire. And so having that, that technology available, um, not only assist us in day-to-day -day operations, but for incident commander and putting you thinking about risk versus benefit and lives and help trying to understand very quickly, are we making headway or are we getting behind the eight ball? Um, that's technology that's out there. It just takes a little bit of investment and being able to put it together. Um, some of the other things that we're looking at is um, biometrics. So there's a company that was in Philadelphia where we, uh, we met during the, uh, the uh, fire, um, fire safety innovation conference. And um, they were they're actually from Atlanta. They're Georgia Tech grads, uh, unfortunately, uh, UGA guy. But they created this, this wearable that you can, it Bluetooth to your cell phone. You can set parameters on heart rate and core temp. And, you know, I, I've, I've used it on guys going into fires. I've used it, people in hazmat tech suits. You're out there working in a 100-degree day, you know, with the heat and everything. Well, I don't have to wait for them to get sick. I can see what they're doing in their trends. Go ahead and get people ready to, to change them out. Um, some of the, uh, the other things, uh, AR headsets, you, know, you think about going out to a job. We haven't figured out how to do this on, a, uh, on the fire side, but on the hazmat tech side, you actually wear a headset. It has a, there's a, uh, there's a, a window on, on, on the side that comes up. You speak to it. You can move your head, and it changes icons. You're going out to do a hazmat job. You got a specific chemical. You want to pull up the SDS, or you need a what they call a um, a PNID chart or a, a schematic of where valves or certain things are. Well, you can pull it up in your headset, know what you're doing. It's hands free, and it's basically you've got a computer hanging out right there in front of you that you don't have to touch and type and. You can also take that and send that information and the pictures um, in the live feed video back to the incident commander. 
So, I mean, it's, it's just technology is just crazy right now. Well, so it, it, I, I love all this tech, and it, it seems like it, there's so many cool applications of how technology can be applied. And, and you know, But at the same time, I also believe that sometimes the best tech is, is uh, actually more of a, a simple best practice that needs to be followed to improve safety. Um, and it seems like there are great opportunities for tech, but there does seem to be a lot of challenges that we face within public safety as it pertains to adopting new technology. Um, so I'd love your take on like, what are some of these challenges of, you know, for first responders in general, but particularly as it pertains to trying to adopt new technology and new practices? So, yeah, so being, you know, coming from the municipal side, I was a volunteer, one station, 30 member on the, 30 members on the roster to working in Metro Atlanta, you know, 60,000 call department. Um, both of them have challenges, and a lot of it ties into finances. Um, being when they have to work on a certain tax, tax base, it's hard to go out and actually be um, trans, you know, transformative and rapid transformation at that. Um, because if, if, say, I'm a fire department, and I go out and invest a million dollars in some technology, and then it doesn't work, that doesn't look real good, right? And that's a million dollars that I don't get back. Um, fortunately for me in my position with my fire brigades, um, they want me to have rapid transportation, um, transformation. They want me to experiment, trial, test, learn from it, and then figure out how to make generation number two better. Um, and that's, that's a huge focus for us. And, um, and fortunately the company that I work for is willing to invest in that, even if it's a, an experimental phase and if it works here, Maybe it'll work for the fire departments and we can get that product out faster. Um, and not that we're even going to sell it. We're just trialing and experimenting with it. Um, so yeah, there, there's definitely the challenges for the municipal side. But here's one of the things that I would say, and I know this is going to vary by demographics and you know geographical areas, but we're a huge proponent of unified command systems. So a lot of our facilities have their own internal um, incident command structure, fire brigade, special ops, etc. But when a municipal department comes, let's make sure we really understand what each other's capabilities are. And if we have this XYZ technology, let's train with it together. Let's go out and play with it, practice it, put it through the, you know, the, 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 the ringer so that when we do have an incident, hey, fire chief shows up. Hey, y'all remember this technology? Hey, can we use it? Can we get it into play? Um, so that may be a case to where you know, industry, private industry, and then the public sector or safety sector come together. FD can't afford it. Private sector can, but they still get to use it. So I think that unified command and training concept is just got to be it's it's got to be practiced. Yeah, and it seems like that 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 requires a, some level of. The open communication be between industry or communities and then the first responders that are working to keep them safe. And and you kind of alluded to it as well as the cost of some of this stuff as well as technology that may exist within the private sector but isn't available for the first responder sector. You know, are, there, are there examples that you've seen where there is some technology that exists but it hasn't been transferred or maybe there's just a communication gap to where they they both want the same thing, but maybe that it just is, it isn't there yet because the cost or the willingness to collaborate. Yeah, so um, 
I, I think there's a couple things. Something that comes to mind, but technology that's been out there is a thermal imaging camera. It's been around for you know, several several years. Um, and thinking kind of the the line of progression that it went through from the size of it, one, to the cost of it being in the tens of thousands. And then this last you know year, two years, there's this new thermal imaging camera that came out that I believe it was L.A. County decided they were going to buy one for everybody because now the cost is down so low. The technology is better than some of the first cameras that came out. So, you know, it's kind of that, um, just that timeline of that product and where it is now. Um, so I think that's a good example of how things change over time. Um, and you know, while the technology is better, price is coming down. And in, in reality, the demand is going up. Um, one of the things that we trialed, I would say, is pro- it's in that bucket right now, is uh, it's a firefighting robot. So if you remember the fire in Paris, the, the Notre Dame fire, the city or the Paris Fire Department got to the point to where they said it is, it's, it's too dangerous to send firefighters inside. I mean, this building, there's hidden fires that we don't know about in void spaces, collapse potentials there. There's no more lives at stake. So they actually have one of the first robots and it's from a shark, uh, shark robotics, and that they rolled off and put into service. It has thermal imaging capabilities. Um, they can do it with gas monitoring technologies. It has a uh, either twelve fifty or twenty five hundred GPM nozzle. Um, it's it can tow up to I think it was three or four thousand pounds. It's got a five or I forget how many pound thousand pound winch on it. It's got live feed cameras. Uh, and they put it into play, and that's one of the the, uh, the, uh, the mitigation efforts that they used to help find the fires, help locate um, where or, you know, structural integrity issues were, and then firefighters helped support it. So it was, you know, it, we're willing to put this piece of technology in. It may get damaged, but it's not a life. And this is in a situation where we're not trying to go in and, and do VES or been in a search and looking for a kid or somebody. We know everybody's out, all right? Um, and somebody will say, well, it, that robot can't do everything. 100% agree. It has its limitations. Um, and and that, that particular cost, they are anywhere from one hundred and fifty dollars to $300,000. Um, I know L.A. County and New York City are looking at the same one that I looked at. Um, there's a vendor in the United States, and there's there's only one that manufacture them, and they're basically a DOD company that um, that's changed and went into some police and SWAT and fire um, type stuff now. Um, that's going to take time for that price to go down. A fire department can't go out and spend three hundred thousand um, for the robot, and then they got to have infrastructure. How are they going to carry it around? How are they going to deploy it, et cetera, et cetera? Um, for it, Fire departments are trying to get a, a brand new fire truck, right, for three hundred thousand um, dollars. So, so that's something that we've tested, we've trialed, we've found uses for it, especially in large scale uh, buildings where I don't. Yeah, I may not want to send a firefighter a half a mile into a building with a, you know, with who knows how much hose behind them. Um, when I can send a robot to do the, you know, some of the same things, give me that intel. Now I can set my resources and my people to go out and do the most effective job possible. Yeah. No, thank, thank you for that context. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of different opportunities for new technology. Uh, and, you know, you bring, the, bring up how a lot of times where I think 
you ha I've seen first responders be somewhat intimidated by some of the new tech, thinking it might replace them. But I think whether it's like with a robot or whether it's with virtual reality, we're not talking about replacing anything. We're talking about complementing it. We're talking about how can a robot be used in a situation to where we're really trying to prevent the human from going in and getting collapsed on by the by the by the by whatever building. So I think that that mindset of how technology is there to enhance, it's not there to replace, is a big obstacle that we'll need to continue to address. And, and you know, maybe it, it takes something like COVID to get us to really think about, man, we really need to not kind of go back to where things were, but instead, oh, completely rethink everything into all our practices and how we evaluate best practices and PPE and using technology to do first responder jobs better. No, absolutely. I, I can't agree more. And, and that that's really important that we do understand that technology is not going to replace. It still takes a person to make even that robot operate. In some cases, it may take more people to help that thing operate when you're thinking about getting it to wherever it's going to go. Um, so it's a tool. It's just like having a, a, a thermal imaging camera on your side or having one of them uh, – the new nozzles, you know, one of the what it, 185 GPMs, 50 psi, low friction loss. It's the same thing. It's a it's a tool. It's 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 a it's a place and a time for it. Um, it's it's new technology. You have to yeah. embrace it and adapt to it. Absolutely, Absolutely. and that, that's part culture shift, but also uh, you know finding the budgets and finding the right partnerships and. Um, so I appreciate that context. So kind of two, two final questions I want to ask you that are uh, a little bit open-ended, but kind of just interested in, in sort of your thoughts, uh, and you can answer either one of them uh, first or second, is uh, what, what excites you most about what's going on uh, within the first responder space, and, and what, uh, what keeps you up at night uh, within this whole range of first responders, technology, and you know, safety mitigation? And so I guess the exciting thing is I think back to I got into the fire service and I'm going on, I think this is my 18th year. Um, so when I got in and you know, where, where we were, and I was talking about, I just brought up that nozzle, you know, the 185 GPM at 50 PSI. When I first jumped on the truck in Metro Atlanta, I had a, a uh, 125 GPM nozzle that required 100 PSI on a hose that I didn't have a clue who made, where it came from, what the friction loss was in it, to now where we are, you pack, you can package the hoses and the nozzles together. for and You know without a doubt what the P PSI and the GPM range is and what you can do. And think about how that technology has evolved over that time. Um, and going from a 125 nozzle to a 185, and in some cases over 200 GPM nozzles, basically on the same hose size, that's that's a huge safety margin, right? You just increased your margin by, what, 50% or whatever the case may be. Um, the technology is just expanding at an exponential factor. I mean, it's not even getting doubling. It's, it's, it's way out there. Um, it is going to continue to do the same. And I think as a, as a, as a service, we got to embrace it. Um, we got to you know, be willing to to accept it, to trial it, test it, experiment it. And I'll say this: not everything that that's new that comes out do we need to go buy. All right, As there's a lot of things that are nice to have. They're real bright, they're shiny, and you're like, man, if we had that, that'd be awesome. 
but what are you going to do with it once you get it? So you really, when I say experiment, don't take every piece of technology that comes out. Make sure it's right for your department. Um, and just because it's right for my department in when I uh, in Atlanta, it may not be right for my volunteer department in rural Georgia, right? So you, you got to look at the whole um, the realm of what's going on. Um, but then, then we also what what excites me in my current position is the ability of where we're going and really making sure that we're um, working on that unified command with the outside resources. Um, I've learned a lot from being able to branch out to different industries and understand what they're doing. Um, and even when I was in the fire department or in Atlanta working, um, having that ability to look out and see what other industries were doing back then helped me in my position when I was in it in the field. Um, now where I'm at, I'm able to do the same thing. We're able to work together, use each other's resources. So it's, it, it makes it safer for everybody, more efficient for everybody. Um, but it comes down to that communication piece that you mentioned. And I think that is a, that's tremendous. Um, what keeps me up? What is it that we don't know that we don't know? Um, and that's a that's a hard one, right? It's a, we who would have ever thought of planning for COVID nineteen and what we've seen and what we've done. What's changed about this, or what's different with this one than with SARS, swine flu, H one N? I mean, all that stuff, pandemics we've had in the past, um, and now all of a sudden we got this. Um, so what's next? What don't I know that's coming that I'm not? I don't know to plan for. So we can put plans in place. We've got I, we got huge plans for pandemics. But look at where, you know, as a country, as a world, where we are. Um, yeah, so that's the one. To that, to that point, I know it's the, the, the famous, I think it's a Mike Tyson. You know, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> yes, yes, and absolutely. It's true. I mean, I think it's it's easy to have a lot of these fancy white papers uh, or a fancy report that says, you know, here's a, where we're doing great. Uh, but when it really comes down to it, I mean, you do need to, we need to build resilience and we can't have, you know, the other cliche phrase, you can't have your eggs in one basket and we need to find ways to make sure that we can have resilient communities. And um, there's a lot of other issues as well that, that drive why the existing status quo with certain human lifestyles or certain operations can't go on. Um, so it's important to hopefully use this as a, a crisis that we learn from and, and, and hopefully uh, rethink and adopt a lot of our, fu our future practices. No, absolutely. And just to have an adaptability, you know, whether you're a first-line uh, you know, resource um, you know, firefighter in the field or your fire chief or somebody in emergency management or preparedness like me, um, you have the ability to adapt and know where your resources are and, and know what, what, think about what is possible. Um, and something that we didn't plan for was our ability to adapt to making a lot of the, the items that our first line resources or responders needed. Um, even though we never made them before, we figured out how to make it happen because they needed them. Um, so just adaptability and thinking what's, what's possible. Yep. Well, Brian, I appreciate that, that wisdom and context there and, um, really look forward to staying in touch and looking at what's next for you and, 
and thanks for all you're doing during this uh, during the current pandemic and everything you do to keep our community safe. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity, Kevin. Man, I hope you stay safe as well, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Smart Firefighting Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a comment, and follow us on social media at Smart Firefighting. We would love to know more about what you liked or did not like about this episode. Even more so, we want to know, what do you want to hear more about? Any feedback for future interviews or topics is highly welcomed and encouraged. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to next time.